Okay, please read with me uh, in uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. First uh, Samuel chapter 1. We'll read the account um, of Hannah. Um, as we know, our, our series at the moment is on uh, um, certain characters from the Bible and what we can learn from them. Um, I'm just doing one, uh, uh, an individual one. Those others come which take more extensive um, reading, but we'll just uh, consider Hannah today. First Samuel chapter 1, there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zufite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerohim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after this, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept pr provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. As she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went, away, went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfil his vow, <coughs> Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband told, Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. 
When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, and there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by his deed, by him deeds are weighed. The, the bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and makes them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. If you uh, were to look at the prayer that Mary prayed after being visited by the angel, um, when she was told that she was going to be the mother of the Lord Jesus, uh, interesting to look at the two prayers because they're very, very similar. It's another something to do for an, 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 at another time, but there's a link which we'll consider a bit later. First uh, Samuel chapter 3, uh, verses 8 to 10. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you've called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood, stood there, calling at, as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Now back to Genesis, please, just one verse. Genesis chapter 50, and uh, verse 20. You intended it, these are the words of Joseph, to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And then finally, over to Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 4. And verse 14. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us firmly, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
good to read uh, that portion in, in this context down to verse 10. Uh, but we'll leave it there uh, just for now for the sake of time. Um, of all the uh, situations in life, then one that um, generates the strongest of emotions um, is that of Hannah, who was unable to have a child. And so right at the start of our thoughts today, we, we recognise the sensitivity of the subject that we're dealing with in its particular subject. There are obviously general points, but in terms of the subject, it's a sensitive one. And we know that the same emotions generated then uh, are felt today. Why wouldn't they be? Um, we live in a world that is totally different. Um, one of advanced medicine, um, where things that were not possible then are, are certainly possible now. Um, we live in a world of uh, instant communication. And if you look just online today at the things that women who are maybe in Hannah's situation have to endure and deal with, um, it's useful to get a perspective. Um, and as I've thought about Hannah over the last week or so, um, we'll, we'll come on to uh, Elkanah in a minute, but um, certainly for a, for a man, it's useful to get a perspective. Uh, it's one of the most private matters, and yet the, the emotions that are generated can be very uh, difficult to handle um, and to live with. Uh, and so Elkanah would take his two wives, Hannah and Peninnah, to Shiloh to present a sacrifice to God to worship. And every year it was the same for, Han for, Fana, for Hannah. Um, the same insulting comments from Peninnah, uh, the same emptiness that her husband could never fill. And she walked away every year with uh, her deepest longing unmet. Uh, she desired children, and yet we read that God I think we read that God had closed her widow, not opened her womb. And for Hannah, whose husband says in effect, well, you've got me, love, what more do you want? Um, fairly insensitive, pretty harsh, even when she knew how much Elkanah loved, loved her. Um, and El Elkanah thought that his, his great love for, for Hannah would compensate her for her deepest need. More than that, Hannah was one of two wives. So, uh, I mean, there's a tricky subject. Um, and day after day, uh, Hannah's face was rubbed into the dirt and salt rubbed into the emotional wounds year after year. And it's not as though the daily, the daily experience would just have been difficult, because it would have been, um, that would have been hard. But we read that her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And it went on year after year. And so we all know what it's like to be provoked. But in a situation like that, tough situation. And the word provoke is uh, grief, rage, provocation, anger, and sorrow. And it's not totally clear to me in my reading of it, but whether this was on the way to worship uh, or not, it seems that it was. So on the way to worship the God of heaven, maybe this provocation uh, happened. Certainly provocation was there either way. And so Hannah's greatest need was to have a child. And equally, the culture of the day had an even greater bearing maybe than it does today. Um, maybe culturally it had. Uh, 
it's impossible to compare and contrast culturally what, what it was like today and in what, what it was like then. But childbearing was a very important part of Middle Eastern culture during Old Testament times. Children were a source of labour for the family and a sign of success for the women who bore them. Having no children was a sign of failure, so Hannah was a marked woman, uh, potentially a social outcast, potentially today uh, people might call her, if they were provoking her, would have called her a loser. Um, but one thing that we do know is that the throne of God that we've been talking about, talking about today is one that we can go to, and it's one that eventually Hannah was driven to in prayer, and we know that that throne of God is still there today. We've got the promise from, from God, don't we? I, the Lord, do not change. We have Hannah's God, um, but we also have the raised and glorified Lord Jesus now in heaven. And I've mentioned about Hannah's prayer and, and Mary's prayer being the same, almost the same prayer. Um, and we think of Jesus, born to a virgin, lived as a man who was sinless, he died for our sins, and we thought that he's raised and glorified and he intercedes for us. And we've told as we thought that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. So Hannah was in a desperate situation. And I think that it's important maybe to, you need to learn something from the story. Um, and what you might learn might be different to what I will learn. Um, so what is your parallel to Hannah's situation? What's your greatest need? Well, we know that our greatest need, ever need, is that of forgiveness of our sins. And we know we can rejoice in that. But we also know that God is interested in every other aspect of our lives. So I wonder, um, what is your greatest need and what is mine? Not want, uh, but need. And I wonder whether, as we think about it, whether maybe there are things day after day, or month after month, or year after year, one year, two years, three years, five years, ten, whatever it might be, that is our greatest need. Hannah struggled with her sense of self-worth, and maybe you and I do too. So, cut to a, a few facts um, about Hannah. Then we'll just have a little little look at Elkanah and Peninnah, and that, and what can come out, what came out of that, and then we'll bring out some of the, the thoughts of what Hannah's story means for us. Hannah was the mother of Samuel, as you know, and Samuel became Israel's greatest judge. We know that uh, Hannah went to worship year after year, despite what was thrown in her face. We know that she was effective in prayer. We know that she was willing to follow through on even a costly commitment. Um, we know that she struggled with her sense of self-worth, because initially she had been, able to, been unable, to answer to, uh, sorry, unable to have children. So what about lessons from her life? Well, directly in terms of Hannah's situation, that God hears and answers prayer. Um, another one is that children are gifts from God. And another lesson is that um, God is, con is concerned for the oppressed and the afflicted. In, in drawing parallels and lessons out of Hannah's story, um, I guess what it's a bit of a difficult one when we come sometimes to think of prayer and, and sometimes maybe we don't get the answers that we want. But hopefully as we, as we progress through the next 20 minutes or so, we'll, we'll make that clear. But I think what it's, it's not about um, is making deals with God 
and Hannah made a commitment and she followed through on it. And um, I'm not an expert in um, doing deals with God or that type of thing. But I think what it's not about is that. Um, and it's not about getting um, everything that we ask for in prayer. Because sometimes uh, we know that things don't happen that we think are our deepest needs. This took place in Ephraim. Uh, Hannah was a wife um, and eventually a mother. And her relatives were her husband, Elkanah. Um, and then she had children, obviously Samuel, her first, and later she was blessed with other sons and daughters. And she was a contemporary of Eliza Priest. Um, I think one of the key verses for here in Hannah is uh, where she says, Sir, do you remember me? I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. And so Hannah there followed through on her commitment. <coughs> I think one of the key things that um, this story tells us is that everything that we have and everything that we receive is on loan from God. Um, whether we have children or we don't, the possessions that we have, everything that we have, we, we read of God, the great God of heaven, and everything that we have is on loan from God. Hannah might have had many excuses for being a possessive mother, but when God answered her prayer, she did follow through on it. And she discovered that the greatest joy for her in having a child was to give that child back to God. We're going to cut now to um, Elkanah and Peninnah, and they're not the main threads of, of, the of, of my thoughts today, so I'm just going to read a summary. Um, and I think for some of you in the audience, the first sentence will, will make you chuckle. Elkanah and Peninnah. Husbands can be insensitive for many reasons. Well, you didn't chuckle. <laughs> but they often suffer from ignorance, and Elkanah had two wives, which doubled his opportunities to be insensitive. His wife, Peninnah, was able to give Elkanah many children. His other wife, Hannah, owned Elkanah's heart, but was unable to get pregnant. Peninnah, jealous that providing Elkanah with heirs didn't turn his affections toward her, treated Hannah with disdain. Yet Elkanah seemed oblivious to the turmoil around him. Elkanah didn't realise that maybe a little attention towards Peninnah could have cooled the simmering emotions in his home. Nor did he understand that his love for Hannah didn't make up for the emptiness of her womb. Although the events leading up to the birth of Samuel primarily involved Hannah, both Elkanah and Peninnah played significant roles. Peninnah's competitiveness and derision drove Hannah to prayer. Elkanah's simple love allowed Hannah to entrust their child, Samuel, into God's care. The glimpse God gives us, gives us of that tense household provides a helpful backdrop for God's purposes which are not thwarted by human shortcomings. He worked within the strain and stresses of those relationships to bring Samuel into the world, one of the most significant figures in the Old Testament. When our relational systems seem to be too gnarled to be unraveled or salvaged, we need to remember that God is able to bring order and beauty out of even the biggest messes. For both Elkanah and Peninnah, the strengths and, accomplish and accomplishments are listed as Elkanah supported Hannah's decision to leave Samuel in Shiloh to be raised as a priest and regular trips to Shiloh acknowledged God's importance to the entire family. What about their weaknesses and mistakes? Elkanah didn't understand what would have helped each of his wives. 
Penenna made things worse by taking out her disappointment and anger out on Hannah. What about lessons from their lives? Um, well, ignorance is not an excuse for insensitivity. Jealousy isn't an excuse for bad behaviour. And God works in the middle of family messes. I guess for uh, Elkanah, maybe the key verse would be, and maybe one that he could reflect on would be, why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? That's one that um, maybe, well, it'd be nice one day to chat to Elkanah and uh, understand what his thoughts are on that now. So, what else can we learn from the life of Hannah? Well, we know that Elkanah every year took his two wives to Shiloh to present and worship to the Lord there. And every year it was the same for Hannah, the same comments from Peninnah, the same emptiness that her husband could never fill. And Shushina, we know that she walked away with her deepest longing unmet, and she desired children, and she couldn't have them. It's a little bit difficult to um, understand exactly how <coughs> we don't have the detail of what that looked like for Hannah year after year. We know that she went along to the temple year after year. Um, we don't know how long she went through this annual routine. It could have been a couple of years or 10 or more. Maybe she went out of duty. Uh, maybe she went um, as a means of honoring Elkanah, her husband. Um, she was an embarrassment anyway, maybe. Um, in the eyes of some people um, and maybe she thought that if she didn't go that would be further embarrassment maybe she went because it was tradition I guess one of the key things though is that Hannah did go and she went to worship what about us um, <coughs> maybe there are things um, that we do for God or, or want to do for God that we don't have the best attitude about our heart isn't in it sometimes maybe we do just do our duty uh, maybe sometimes we just can't wait to get it over with um, maybe in those situations we can learn about uh, looking at our heart and our attitude and our motives and making sure that they are right before God, before we do our duty. Sometimes maybe we think that we need to be in a particular state um, if we want to honour God. But if that was the case, then I guess we'd never turn up on a Sunday morning, would we? Um, uh, if you're like me, you sometimes turn up at the remembrance and you have nothing prepared. Um, and God, in his graciousness, uh, week after week, gives us things uh, when, we, when we attend. Um, somebody's commented that half the battle in our Christian walk is showing up for the task. If we can just get into his presence, even with our downcast hearts and bitter thoughts, God can change us from the inside out. So that through him, so that through him, God can do miracles on our behalf. I think that's what Hannah did year after year. Um, I'm sure that she probably didn't enjoy the experience year after year. I'm sure sometimes she just showed up, um, and she entered the temple maybe broken, resentful, bitter, unhappy, defeated, um, all the time with Elkanah trying to lift her spirits. Um, maybe she couldn't stomach the whole ceremony. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's so many ins and outs to this story the, 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 the feasts and, and what they meant and it's, it's a good study to look at 
I'm going to go and do it uh, after after this. Um, but Peninnah ate of the sacrificial portions that Elkanah gave her, but Hannah didn't seem to want it. Um, and I think maybe the picture is that Hannah, while she was there physically at Shiloh, um, which was the place considered the centre, the religious centre of the nation, sure, a lot of the time her heart and her mind were a long way away. She was lost in rejection and the shame she felt for a position brought on her by her situation. But it seems that, well, we know that one time Hannah decided to focus on God and his provision um, instead of dwelling on her circumstances which seemed not to be able to change. And instead of standing in the outer courts of praise before God, um, Hannah did something that brought herself directly into God's presence and she prayed. Uh, and it seems that her relationship with God went from the, the possible to the, pers to the personal, um, from inactive to active, and certainly the result was, was, was amazing. I think there's a, there's a lesson for us in making worship personal, as I've just alluded to. Um, she wept bitterly before the Lord. Um, there's a lot we don't know about the story, but we do know that after all these years we record that Hannah decided to pray. Um, nothing seemed to have changed outwardly. And why this particular day, we don't know. Maybe um, it was something Elkanah had said. Um, maybe in reflecting on the love of her, of her husband for her, um, maybe she realised that God also loved her. Maybe Hannah recalled the words of somebody else, a neighbour, um, or one of the other prophets. But she came to her senses and she heard the voice of God calling to her and she felt his presence and she believed. And we read that... Um, her situation was changed and so she was beaten down she was disappointed and sometimes when we feel like that um, it's difficult to ask God for something in prayer it's difficult even to go to God um, but Hannah did that and I guess there is the, the challenge to each one of us in when we think of what our greatest need is um, have we taken it to God and have we continually taken it to God I was um, encouraged over the last few um, days uh, when I was thinking about talking to God and asking God for things and just what that approach is. Um, and sometimes we expect an answer out of the blue. Um, the while, um, and while uh, the, the text on Wednesday the 27th of April wasn't built out of the blue, it was just a reminder of, of what our um, experience in walking with God maybe should be like. And the, the verse is from Philippians 3, chapter 16, and it says, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Whatever we have come to appreciate from the word of God and the purposes for, of God for us individually and collectively, faithful adherence is vitally important. It's about growth through consolidation. And we should not necessarily expect that every day we'll be lived experiencing amazing new truths about the Lord and his will for our lives. Such experiences are truly a blessing, but real spiritual growth occurs through faithful, loving, daily obedience, in the, even in the middle of the mundane things of life. Maybe we could answer that, add on to that, the end of that, maybe even the continually difficult things of life. 
What else can we learn from Hannah's story? Well, it also teaches us that God can use human weakness to accomplish great things. Um, Samuel was Hannah's son, and she grew up to, to be a great man of God. The final judge and the prophet who anointed the first two kings of Israel. Um, but you can kind of think, well, why was Hannah's story necessary? Um, why not just start uh, with Hannah, sorry, with Samuel in the tabernacle, or at the start, just the start of his, his judgeship? Why not simply let him be born to um, a God-fearing couple um, and send an angel to tell them to de dedicate their son to God? Why involve her grief? And I guess the reason is that God is glorified in Hannah's story, in her weakness, um, her trust in God as she turned to him, how fervent her desire was, her faithfulness in bringing Samuel to God, um, are all evidences of, of how God was working in Hannah's life. And as we look back over the, over the years and over the years of scripture, her tears were, were ordained to be part of what God was doing in Israel's history. One of the verses that we're encouraged to do in our lives is to set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. And we know that Hannah was blessed and she gave that back. And we're encouraged as new creations um, to, to set apart Christ Jesus as Lord, to have the Lord Jesus in our lives as the most important thing. So what about our response? And maybe sometimes um, we go through the motions in worshipping God. Uh, sometimes we hold sadness and bitterness in our hearts. Um, and we read and we, we thought that Hannah didn't do that in the end. Um, she, she got up. She wasn't a bystander, but she entered God's courts. And isn't that maybe something that we should pray for each other? and for ourselves um, in that we have lives and we have lives which are full of reality and we have lives which maybe are full of difficulty or positivity whatever it might be um, but we know that we're called to be new creations and we know um, that we have a, a saviour in heaven who intercedes for us um, we sung um, in one of our hymns, we glory in the fullness of, or we sing, we glory in the fullness of him who meets our need. So does that mean that the Lord Jesus makes everything right in our lives? Well, we know that's not the case, don't we? But we know that we've, and we've thought of that uh, in our hearts we're to set apart the, the Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus as Lord. Why? Because he's the son of God. Uh, and we know that. Why? Because we know that Mary was visited by an angel and this was all promised all the way through and as we thought this morning in our remembrance service that Jesus came down and died and then it was raised and now he's in heaven and we are each new creations. And why should we glory in the, in the fullness of the Lord Jesus? Well, because we've been encouraged to, in our hearts, set apart the Lord Christ Jesus as Lord. As I said, I think... Um, if Hannah had read her Golden Bells calendar, if she'd had one over the last few days, then she would have been encouraged. Um, and I think as the calendar verse there 
suggested that um, we're called to a, a daily um, acknowledgement of who God is and a daily experience of what um, the Lord Jesus has done for us. The verse we read in, in Genesis um, was, was um, Joseph's experience. And after all, Joseph had been through. Let's read the verse again. Um, Genesis chapter 15, verse 20. This is Joseph to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. After all, Joseph had been through. He could have been very bitter, but he saw, the point is that he saw God's purpose in the whole thing. And I think that's what Hannah did as well. She recognised that she was being used by God to fulfil his purposes. There is a, um, uh, an American preacher called uh, Louis Giglio. I'm not sure whether many of you have seen him, but in one of his um, um, presentations, um, which is to the letter in terms of um, scriptural um, accuracy and our doctrine, he says that um, God is painting on a canvas bigger than we ever imagine. And sometimes we don't see the beginning and sometimes we don't see the end. And I think this was part of the encouragement that I got from Hannah's story in that somebody affected by the harsh realities of, of life and is the mother of Samuel. Um, her prayer was one that was, one, was essentially the prayer that, Ma that Mary prayed, having been blessed and blessed with the news that she was going to be um, the mother of the Lord. And so the little snapshot that we have of Hannah, there's, there's a lot that we know, but there's a lot that we don't know. But how was she used in God's purposes? What about you and me? Well, um, again, um, I think that and I'm encouraged that God is painted on a canvas bigger than we can see that way and can see that way. And in our appreciation of who God is and in our appreciation of who the Lord Jesus is, then there's the encouragement for day by day. Um, maybe God was saying to her, walk with me, Hannah walk with me and know every day that I'm there. I'm um, very unqualified in, in talking really about prayer and I'm not, not really an expert at it. Um, and so um, I'm going to cut um, and finish with the words um, that one of our contemporaries uh, used a few years ago. And I think as contemporaries in, in, in faith, and contemporaries in our church, um, we are as, as equal as Hannah in relevance to God. Um, Hannah, as I said, we know little about, but we know enough to know that God worked in our lives. And each of us, having been touched by the love of the Lord Jesus, are as much to, to God as Hannah was. But on the point of prayer, 
Um, these were the words of uh, Greg Neely on the 24th of February in 2014. I'm quite convinced that prayer is as much about relationship with the Lord as it is about asking for things. He'll bestow his sovereign blessings. He'd like to share the experience with us as we pray for them and give thanks. So we'll appreciate your relationship building with us, with the Lord on our behalf. In that regard, we'll all benefit inestimable, in inestimable ways. And, and he finished off the, that particular email, in his grace, no better place to be. But um, I think it's very interesting that Greg's perspective was that he was quite convinced that prayer is as much about relationship with the Lord as it is, as it is about asking for things. Should we ask God for his help?